0: Hello, it's a little bit escapable to feel like God's in the house, like he's always, but he just seems to be a little more, Mm. excellent, excellent, I have a little bit of ground to cover in the next 30 minutes, so strap yourself in, yeah, again, I know that's not unusual, just a little worse. And um, get your fingers ready to jump around if you want to follow, or if you've, if you're game enough to try and take notes, listen and write fast. And if all else fails, get the podcast and put it on half speed, and you should be fine. <laughs> so, over the last couple of weeks, as many of you know, we've been uh, there's about twenty of us plus the core team that makes about twenty five of us who are doing this Destiny Alignment and Activation Program. And the whole idea of that is felt since the beginning of the year that there is a prophetic word for this year, that this is the year to begin to step into the fullness of who we really are. It's time to stop just treading water. Time to stop just kind of poking around and hoping something good might happen. And it's time to, to have permission to be who we really are. We don't have to fit into someone else's mould, someone else's expectations. We want to discover who the Father has made us to be, how he has wired us, and then release us to wreak havoc out in the world in the best possible way. That's the idea. Um, And over the last couple of weeks, we've been saying that the key foundation of our destiny is having our paradigm right. And the paradigm is the way that we look at the world. It's the lens through which we see things. It's the lens or the framework through which we interpret everything. And... um, I was actually watching this week, this week as I was coaching a corporate client and I was following her around all week. Oh, sorry, for a couple of days, not all week. feels like all week, but it was only for a couple of days. And, um, you know, watching how she held the meetings and how she met with all of the staff and then, you know, giving feedback on all of that. And there was one particular staff member where... The the connect just kind of wasn't there. And my observation was, you guys have got completely different paradigms. When you say this, you mean this. When he or she says exactly the same thing, they mean something else. You've got different paradigms of the world and you keep going like this because until your paradigms meet, uh, your minds are not going to meet. So paradigms are like that. They, They are the framework and the lens through which you see the world. And we've been talking about how if you've been in church for a while... The kind of modus operandi is if you want to do ministry, you do it in the church. Um, You lead a home group, you serve, you take up the offering, You, you whatever it is. Um, Serve on some kind of committee, God forbid. Committees are... There are many words for committees. Um, Many heads and no... Yeah, no, I can't say that. Um, (laughs) You obviously didn't hear what I said, clearly, because you didn't freak completely. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah. Yeah. Jesus never said, go into the world and create committees. And that's what we've done as the church very successfully. What we've done is we've had a paradigm of the church and we've wanted the kingdom to invade that. And what we've been unpacking is what would it look like if we started with the paradigm of the kingdom and so what would what a church look like emerging out of that paradigm? Because Jesus talked about the kingdom 119 times in 114 verses in the Gospels. And he talked about church twice. Now, that doesn't mean he is not very intentional about the church. It is his bride. But what comes first is the key. In other words, he was intent as he taught his disciples, as he, as he taught between his resurrection and his ascension, that if we get the kingdom right, everything else will emerge. So that's what we've been talking about. And one of the things I've been at pains to say is that we have carried, as part of the church paradigm, Just a gospel of salvation, not a gospel of the kingdom. Now, for those of you that weren't here, the gospel of the kingdom contains the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom is a whole lot bigger. Last week, we looked at where Jesus said, the law and the prophets prophesy until John. From then, the kingdom of heaven is being preached. In other words, at John the Baptist, there was a fundamental shift in the message from a law and the prophets paradigm, which was largely God is a long way away from you because you're a sinning scumbag. That's slightly my own interpretation, but I just want to see if you're away. Okay, that, that was the message. God is a long way away from you because of your sin, and therefore you need to repent, lest he smote thee. or words to that effect. Um, but at John the Baptist, the message changed. That's Luke 16, 16, and that's on the podcast from last week. Now, I've said the message changes to the message of the kingdom, but I haven't specifically said, what is the gospel of the kingdom? What is, what is that? So I thought that would be a good thing to unpack. And given that it's big, I've got a lot of ground to cover. So you ready? You sure? No, you're not. Thank you. One person's on us. All right. So we talked in, in the first week of this series, Matthew 4.17 and Matthew 3.2. We we're looking at what was the first thing that Jesus preached and the first thing that John the Baptist preached. And it was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, we have often, in a paradigm of the church framework, when we hear this, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's like the end of the world is about to come and he's about to smoke thee. But remembering that message finished with John the Baptist because he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. But the key in that message was one that moves away from God is a long way away from you because you're a sinning scumbag. Two, when he said the kingdom of heaven is near you, what he's saying is God is closer to you than you think. Therefore, repent, which as we've said somewhere in the last few weeks, means change your perspective on reality. Come up to a higher place. See it from up here. God is actually closer to you than you think. That is the beginning of the gospel of the kingdom. Now, this is a fairly radical shift for a lot of the church because we've been preaching God's a long way away from you because of your sin for a really long time. I'm very well discipled in that message. And like I said, I think I've preached it for many, many years. Um, And if I got a little bit bold, I think it was at the end of last week when I said, now, if you want to give that message and you want it to be anointed, you have to take recourse to a different spirit other than the Holy Spirit to get an anointing on that message. And I would call it a religious spirit or a spirit of accusation. Just let me just put that out there. So because the message has shifted, what the spirit is anointing is different as of John the Baptist. And the message is the kingdom of heaven is near you. He is closer to you than you think. Let's have a look at Acts chapter 17. This is the first place where we're going to, where we're going to go. And I've got a little bit more to say about this one shortly, but let me say one thing first up. So this is Paul when he is in the city of Athens. For those of you that know your book of Acts well, this is Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. Um, this, is kind of, this is regarded as one of Paul's finest kind of oratorial moments. Um, and it is pretty cool, but I have something a little more to say about it shortly. But let me say what I'm going to say now before I say what I'm going to say then. No, I can't. You think it's difficult to follow out there? You should try being in here. <laughs> Just do what the voices tell me. So Acts chapter 17, verse 16. <clears throat> While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly dis- distressed. And this is where the NIV doesn't do justice. And I'm going on a rabbit war already, dang. <laughs> and actually, in the Greek, it literally says his spirit was provoked within him. Distressed kind of sounds like he was mildly miffed. But the word literally in Greek, it means his spirit was provoked within him. This is a spiritual discernment moment. This is not just an I'm a little bit annoyed. So his spirit was provoked within him to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? See, even really good preachers get that feedback. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Um, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Europagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching and your strange uh, that you are presenting, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. So these are all head tripping types. In fact, the next verse in parentheses says that all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening about the latest ideas. Sounds like university. Paul then stood up in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you, of, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Or another version says, That which you say is unknown, I'm now going to proclaim to you. He says the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything rather he gives himself, Oh, sorry, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their hands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Here is the verse I was wanting to land on. Though he is not far from any one of us. Catch that. So, this is even while Paul is preaching to these people that are worshiping everything that moves and even things they think are unknown, he's saying to them, Actually, God's not far from you at all. Sounds a lot like the message we heard before. He's actually closer to you than you'd think. He says, For in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We would say, we are made in his image. We are made in his likeness, whether you know it or not. He is much closer to you than you think. Are we getting the idea? So even Paul, in, even in evangelical Christianity that tends to preach the gospel of sin kind of message, this is the one they quote a lot. And even Paul is saying, he's actually not far from you. Like I said, more on this shortly. So the message is not he's a long way away from you because of your sin, but he's actually closer to you than you think. And then comes the demonstration that demonstrates that he's closer than you think. I want to look at two verses in John, John chapter 5 and John chapter 10. So John chapter 5 verse 36. This is Jesus talking. And as usual, he's in trouble with the religious cops, the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for, and this this is the statement I want to look at, the works which my Father has given me to accomplish. I'll read the rest of the verse and explain that. The very works I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Whenever you see that phrase, and it's particularly uh, the New American Standard, I think the New King James picks it up the best, uses the phrase, the works of the Father. And if you track through what happens every time he's talking about the works of the Father? He's talking about miracles. He's talking about miracles. Now, that is further illustrated in John chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. And again, in trouble with the religious heat. And he says, If I do not do the works of my Father... Again, talking about the miraculous, and, if I, and I'm reading this out of the New American Standard because it's a much more literal, accurate translation, but I think if I turn here and I'm having a sudden thought, which is really unhelpful to have when I'm trying to stay on track. If you read it in the NIV, I actually think it says, Believe the Miracles. Let me go and have a look. No, no, the newer one has changed it to the works. So... Um, when he, so let me, let me read it and then I will talk and I will stop interrupting myself. <laughs> so he says, why do you accuse me, end of verse 36, why do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may understand that the father is in me and I am in you. And again, he tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Now, I want to see the video on that. How did he do that? Because he, he, he kind of snuck off or just went voom a number of times. This is nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I'm just insanely curious. I can't wait till I get to heaven. I want to see the, the, the YouTube on that because he did it a few times. Anyway, so what he's saying here, and this, um, this messes a little with my evangelical brain. So he's saying, unless I do miracles, unless you see the supernatural following me, you don't have to believe me. That's number one. Now, I think it's about time we had the same message. In other words, we can reason cognitively and mentally all we like, and we may even win a few of the arguments, but it's about time we had the boldness, because this is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom comes with power, not just words. And I'll unpack some of that from the epistles in just a second. But he said, if you don't see me do miracles, you don't have to believe me. But then he makes this wild statement that again messes with the evangelical brain. And it says, though you don't believe me, believe the works. So if you don't believe me, believe the miracles so that you may understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. In other words, when we, when, when we demonstrate supernatural power they may not necessarily believe Jesus, but essentially what Jesus is saying here is if you believe the miracle, it's going it's to land you in the right place. Because he says, even if you don't believe me, believe the works. Because when you do that, you're going to end up in the right spot. That was the message that Jesus carried. We're getting the idea. Now, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, and I think I said last week, I might have been last week or the week before, I talked about the verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, where Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified, and we've kind of quoted that and said, well, we just talk about Jesus and Him crucified, but what we don't do, again, is read the rest of that passage. So, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And here we go. (laughs) And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. See the rest of the passage? See, even Paul does not let us get away with a message that is just wise and persuasive words that it's not us trying to cognitively argue. So uh, I asked the question, what did nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified look like? It actually looked like a demonstration of power. Kind of thought that was better news than... Anyway. Because here's the thing. So what he says, what Paul says is, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. In other words... Jesus wants people's faith to rest on something, not just our brains. Yeah. He doesn't want to just give us an argument to be convinced of. He doesn't want to give people an argument to be convinced of. He wants people's faith to rest on the power of God. Yeah. This is the gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel of salvation. 1 Corinthians 4.20 going on a few chapters, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And then in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, he he warned Timothy, he, he warned about people that had a form of godliness, but denied its power. And he said, with such people have nothing to do with them. That's a pretty stern warning. Don't hang out with the religious folks. In other words, and and this is not like become an exclusive cult kind of message. Okay, just be let's be clear. Because what he's saying is, don't have as your primary input and influence that come into your world people who do the godliness, the the behavioural morality thing. But there's no power. He said that stuff is dangerous because it's not kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 1 5. Paul says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. We getting the idea? Okay, so let's talk about this deep conviction thing. What does this look like? What is it conviction of? Because this is really, really important because this is where I still think, in many ways, we have the message wrong. John chapter 16. Verses 7 through to 11. Found it. <laughs> so this is Jesus beginning to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate talking about or the counsellor will not come to you. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, this is one of the key places where we get the idea that the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of sin. Again, we need to read this just to see exactly what it's actually saying. So he says, when he comes, he will convict the world in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment, and then he explains what he means by each of those three things. He says about sin because people do not believe in me. What is the sin? Yeah, it's unbelief. That's the sin. Now, who is he convicting of that? He will convict the world of sin. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Now, we have we have talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, even in the life of the believer as he convicts us of sin. And we wonder why people don't want to hang around with the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to hang around with someone that's always telling you what you do wrong? Okay, I'll keep going then. So I will convict the world of sin, about sin because people do not believe in me. So the key sin is unbelief. The key sin is not moral wrongness. The key sin is not behavior. It's unbelief. That's what the Holy Spirit's interested in dealing with. Because if he gets that, he deals with the rest. When Jesus is coming back, one of the things Jesus said, he said, when I come back, will I find faith on earth? Notice he didn't say, will I find righteousness on earth? Because he dealt with the righteousness thing with the cross. That's a done deal. What he's looking for is faith. Because when, he has, when, when faith, the rest is a done deal. So he's interested in convicting the world of unbelief. Now, how does he do this? Righteousness. And he says about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you see me no longer. So he says, I'm going to the Father. Now, what did he do when he went to the Father? Not a trick question. He's He ascended, and what did he do when he got there? Sat the right, yes. And what did he send in our general direction? He sent the Holy Spirit. And where did he put the Holy Spirit? In us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So when the Holy Spirit is in us, and if we go to Pentecost where that happened, what happened? What did we receive when the Holy Spirit came upon us? Power, dunamis, dynamite love messing with dynamite, but I'm not allowed to. It's just a slight pyromaniac tendency, but I try and just release it in the spirit rather than in the natural, because it gets you in trouble. I don't know why I just said that, but let's keep going. So, now, when he said, of righteousness because I go to the Father, so we understand that when he goes to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indues us with power, which enables us to do the miraculous things that we were just talking about. And in fact, Jesus said in John chapter 14, the things that I do, you will do. Now, I haven't even got close to that yet. (laughs) That in itself is trippy. The things that I do, you will do. And then he just belts it out of the park completely and completely blows any sense of rationality and says, and even greater things will you do because I go to the Father. So in other words... Jesus was the low watermark of what's meant to be the normal Christian life. That's tilt. I don't really know if I have anywhere to put that other than to go bring it on and mess me up until that looks logical. So then he said, so he's he's convicting the world of sin Now, and then he says of righteousness because I go to my Father. And we understand that because he goes to the Father, he puts the Holy Spirit in us. That's talking about us as believers. And he says he's actually going to convict us of righteousness. Now, we've got this idea that the Holy Spirit convicts us as the people of God of our sin. And yet, as I read that, Jesus is saying, what, the Holy Spirit is going to convince us as the people of God, because the world is going to convict of unbelief. But of righteousness... It's the people in whom the Holy Spirit lands. He's going to convict us of our righteousness. In other words, when you hear the Holy Spirit's voice, okay, will he challenge you? Heck yes, as any good father would. But his primary role is to convince you, convict you of who you really are. And who are you? 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who had no sin became sin So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's who we are. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth. And that truth is that we are the righteousness of God, not we're a filthy, rotten scumbag. Again, that's quite good news. Now, if that is his role, that's way less scary to hang around. Until you realise just how awesome He thinks you are and He confronts you with that and you go, oh my gosh, that's really scary. But it's scary in a whole, a whole different way. You know when someone gets in front of you and they see right through you and they point to who you really are? That's really confronting. Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit too. But the guy that smacks you around and said you're stuffed up there, you missed that, you got that right, that's the other guy, that's the accuser. And... What we have had for way too long is a church that hasn't known the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of the accuser. And we wonder why we're not walking in destiny. Because we're ascribing the voice of the accuser to the voice of the Holy Spirit and we're feeling like poop about ourselves because we're listening to the wrong dude. You're welcome. And then he says of judgment... So what's the conviction around judgment? And he said about judgment, verse 11, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He's going to convict you that the enemy has had his butt kicked and is absolutely condemned so you can go in and plunder his kingdom like nothing on earth and take back everything he has stolen. What a good idea. Okay, so I'm a little excited about this. (laughs) Feel free to join with me. 1 John 3, 8, it says, For this reason was the Son of God manifest to destroy the devil's work. And then Jesus said in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. In other words, your job, part of your, the key part of your destiny is to understand that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that the enemy is judged, the enemy is defeated, and you are to go and plunder his kingdom, take back everything he's stolen in your life and in anyone you come into contact with. And the specifics are, where do you specifically have an anointing to do that? to break the shackles off people's lives, to break the lies. Where where is your passion and and your insight around that? That is where your destiny is, but you're taking back what the enemy has stolen because he is condemned. He is judged. He is a defeated foe. In fact, I think it's 1 Corinthians Corinthians 3, it says that, no, Colossians it is, sorry. There's so many voices in here. (laughs) where it says that at the, he disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. I think the message takes that and basically says he took the principalities and powers and marched them naked through the streets. I love that concept. Not because the visual's not good, but, but you know what I mean. Like, he act, like public spectacle on,, them. You know, do the walk of shame, enemy. Okay, this is way better news than your reaction right now. Neither can I, I understand. Like I said, get the podcast, put it on half speed, you've probably got a chance. Okay, let me find a way to land this. So we understand that when the message comes with deep conviction, what's the conviction of? He's wanting to convict of unbelief. And when we lay our hands on someone's knee and say, be healed in Jesus' name, and that knee gets healed... It's a unique way of convicting them of unbelief because all of a sudden I'm confronted with power. I can argue with an argument any time in my life, but the moment power is there, it forces a confrontation of worlds. That's the point. Now, when we talk about that, what we're talking about is giving people an experience of the kingdom. In other words... The the gospel of the kingdom is not just about words, it's about power. In other words, it's experiential in nature. When we bring the gospel of the kingdom, we bring them into an experience of the kingdom. They get a free sample before they buy. Matthew thirteen, kind of two parables landed together, verses forty four to forty-six. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then to his, in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. I love the kingdom parables. he says The kingdom is like, there's so much insight in them. And then he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So in both of these cases, this person came into an experience of something that was so valuable, they were willing to sell all they had in order to get that thing. Now we spend so much energy arguing with people and trying to convince people when when we can just give them a genuine experience of the kingdom, they're going to be asking us, how do I get that? When people genuinely experience him, he's the desire of nations. Everyone wants a king like him. The problem is we haven't represented him authentically like he is. The moment that we do, all of a sudden, it becomes very, very attractive and people start going, how do I get this? I'm I'm gonna put some protection around that sucker so I don't lose it while I go and sell all my stuff and I'm getting that. And then we don't, when we do this, when we do this, the evangelism, if you like, right, our discipleship takes on a whole new basis. See, when we do the convincing and the argument stuff and they go, all right, I'm convinced with an argument, all right, I'm in then yeah it's like yeah i'm worn down i can i give up you know then our discipleship programs then tell us okay you need to stop doing this you need to stop doing that you need to stop doing this and it becomes very hard work yet when they have an experience of the kingdom it's just let me fall flat and go what do i need to do like it just it touches here rather than here So when we get this right, then the natural response of people is not, away from me, you door-knocking annoyance. (laughs) It's, how do I get what you've got? And I don't care what it costs me. I have to have this. That's the idea. That's the gospel of the kingdom. So... The gospel of the kingdom comes with an experience of the kingdom and our job is to give away free samples of the kingdom wherever we go. And we give away the samples according to how the Father has wired us. Where do we have insight? Where do we have passion? Where do we have an anointing, uh, an ability and a passion to destroy the enemy's work in a person's life? That, that, that's part of the wiring of our destiny. And then and some people kind of go, but hang on, if they're not saved, how do they experience the kingdom? Well, Jesus actually, in Matthew 23, he rebuked the, t- the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. He says, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves don't enter, nor will you let those who, ent- who are trying to enter enter. Now, that doesn't sound that remarkable until you realize he was talking before the cross. Jesus hadn't died yet, so people becoming born again wasn't quite dealt with. But yet there was a realm of the kingdom that people could come into prior to them being born again. And that's what Jesus was saying is people are trying to enter into this experience. And, and not only are you not entering, you're shutting people out who are also trying to enter. We're getting the idea. So we've got to kind of get this, where's the line? Where's the point where people can really, you know, like people can experience the kingdom anywhere. They can experience Jesus anywhere if we represent him authentically. If we realize we carry him, his presence, his heart. He, he puts us on like a glove and says, let's go and love the world to pieces to the point where their hearts and their defences melt and they just want him. Everyone wants a father like our father. Now, I talked about Acts 17 in a moment and trust me, I'm almost at landing point. We'll have you at the terminal very shortly. In Acts chapter 17, the Sermon on Mars Hill, and it's often quoted as you know, one of Paul's finest moments, one of his finest orations. Where, yeah, and this is where it says, you know, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So we love to reason with people from the scriptures. You know, it was actually his least effective mission moment. If you actually follow all of his missionary av- adventures and um, exploits, is the word I was looking, throughout the entire book of Acts, this was his least effective. Uh, verse... 34 of Acts 17 or verse 33 that Paul left the council some of the people became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus and also a woman named Damaris and a number of others that was it two chapters later he wipes out an entire city brings down the temple of the goddess Diana and sees a whole city turned around which was Ephesus as I said And we kind of say, well, this is, yeah, great strategy, reasoning, and a few people got saved. It was actually his worst. It was the low watermark in Paul's ministry life because there was no power. It was just reasoning, words, amazing words, and enough for a couple of people. But it wasn't profound as a mission trip at all. Now, the gospel of salvation, it's actually important. Let's, I want to be really clear about this as I kind of round off this series. Because people need to know the source. When they experience power, there's so many options out there these days. The, the world is becoming increasingly spiritual. You know, universities, business places, uh, they're all becoming increasingly spiritual. So people are having all sorts of spiritual experiences. So just having a spiritual experience is, is not enough. They actually need to understand the source. So don't hear me saying that the gospel of salvation is not important. It's just that we have rammed that and nothing else. And it's time to say, actually, the gospel of the kingdom is so much bigger. That, that, that's my point. But the gospel of salvation is important because they need to know Jesus as the source. Or they may follow any other rabbit trail. But the key is wisdom to know the right time. Because the right word at the wrong time increases resistance. Whereas the right word at the right time brings in a harvest. I remember one of my friends, he's in the States, his name's Dave, he's an amazing guy, like he's amazing in business um, but he's also got this amazing prophetic insight and he had this relationship with his old boss um, where you know, it kind of started with God just downloaded this amazing prophetic word to him in the car on the way to work that just blew his mind and without even thinking, zero filters whatsoever, he goes bursting into his boss's office who's this boots wearing, Texas hat kind of cowboy dude who's not a believer goes bursting into his office and says, God is so going to turn this business completely around. This is amazing. Like, what's your vision? I'm so excited. And, and the guy's kind of sitting there going, um, can you send me an email? I'm not quite understanding. And he kind of walked out and realised, wow, I had no filters there whatsoever. Um, but within, I think, two weeks, I think it was 10 days, um, a, a discovery came as a complete kind of side point for one of the, product, one of the products that they made Of a whole other usage for this product that opened up a market that earned them millions and millions and millions of dollars and completely turned the company around. And so Dave becomes known to this boss as like, can you talk to the guy up there for me about this? And Dave would come back and I say, I feel like the the, the boss is saying this. There was one particular thing where they had an outdoor event. The weather was looking like it closes in and his boss said to Dave, Dave, can you go do your thing? Deal with that. We need it to not be raining. So Dave goes away praise the clouds clear the event goes ahead as planned so this was dave, this was kind of just dave's normal day this is this is my friend I, i'm hoping to get him out here somewhere maybe in january because i would dearly love you to meet him he's amazing but there came a point where his boss kept saying to him yeah can you go to the man and dave actually said i think it's time i introduced you to the man himself i think it's time you learned to go direct to him See all of these amazing things that were getting his attention even then. He knew in the midst of all of that spectacular, amazing stuff, it's time to introduce you to the source. So, our job is to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. But we destroy the works of the devil not with a message that says, You're a filthy, rotten scumbag and God's a long way away from you, but with a message that says, God is so much closer to you than you think. Let me show you. You've heard me probably talk about these two verses before. We actually destroy the works of the devil with the kindness of God, not with the wrath of God. Hosea 3 verse 5, it says, they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. In other words, his goodness will be so extreme, it's going to freak people out. His goodness, not his anger, his wrath. In the last days, it's his goodness that is the message. Romans 2.4, we've seen it before. God's kindness leads you to repentance. See, as we demonstrate the kindness of God in supernatural power, and I've talked about this before, whenever you see Jesus was moved with compassion, a supernatural act followed. See, his goodness, his kindness was represented in power that completely changed a person's situation. That's the gospel of the kingdom. That's how Jesus came. That's what he was sent to do. And then at the end, he said, As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So I want us to have a bit of a commissioning right now. Let's stand. I want you to get a hand on somebody next to you, and let's just make sure around the room everybody is connected to somebody. Okay, so if you have to move, if you have to get somewhere, let's just make sure everyone is connected. And if we can bridge the gap somewhere over here so that everyone is connected somewhere. Okay, we've kind of got a break between here and here. Can we connect? There is a reason I'm doing this. Just trust me. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> um, right, there. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Let's roll the dice. Anyone got yellow? No. <laughs> All right. What I feel like we're meant to do right now is, is we're meant to be commissioned. And we're meant to be commissioned as messengers of the goodness and the kindness of God to not just go out with the right words, but to go out with power, to go out with life and to go out with a blueprint to systematically dismantle the enemy's work in people's lives and usher in the kingdom of light. So Father, as a house, we just speak commissioning over every one of us right now in the name of Jesus. We speak an enduing with power from on high right now. We speak a fresh release of the Holy Spirit, of his power, of his fire in Jesus' name. And we commission you with that commission where Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We commission you to be sent out into the world, not just to the church, but into the world as carriers of his goodness, as carriers of his kindness, as messengers of love, as messengers of compassion who bring with it not just a message but an experience. Increase your power on us. Increase your power on us now in Jesus' name. Increase your power. That we would be Holy Spirit destroyers. Where the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, we stand in authority because he's been condemned and we go to plunder everything that he has stolen, to take it back and to see people restored to the fullness of who they are created to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Increase your power. Okay, just take a couple of minutes. Just turn to the people around you. Get in a group of two, three, four, whatever. Just keep your hands on each other and just pray fire. Just pray fire. Just pray an increase of Holy Spirit fire. You increase your fire on us. So just keep praying. Keep praying. Just increase your fire, Father. Increase your fire. Don't let us go without a fresh encounter. Don't let us go without a fresh encounter. God, where we have believed the voice of the accuser over us to be the voice of the Holy Spirit, we just break that right now. In the name of Jesus, we release every person from accusation, from condemnation, from any voice which would tell them they are less than the righteousness of God in Christ. And we welcome angelic ministers of fire to come and bring release, release of your power release of your power yeah god thanks for everything that you've done today and i just want to pray you'll seal that with your holy spirit and stir us up during the week for more 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 in jesus name